Good afternoon, 7investors, and welcome to the Monday edition of 7investing Now. This is the start of Thanksgiving week, so uh, thank you for watching. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks-Klein, but you can call me Dan. My friends call me Dan, and we are all friends here. I am joined today by Steve Symington and Austin Lieberman. Steve, are the kids home for uh, for Thanksgiving break? My kids are always home right now. It's, <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> that's yeah. The the perks of mostly remote learning is is what we have. So uh, yes, they are. I can hear them thumping around all the time. So that uh, Austin, you haven't lived in Florida for that long, if I remember. Does Thanksgiving feel weird to you? It always feels strange to me. So I'm I'm a Florida native. I just lived out of state. For a while, I lived in Georgia, and then I lived in Washington State, uh, traveling around with the Air Force. Um, so this is amazing. So happy to be back, and I, I love the weather this time of year in Florida. You have a little bit more weather where you are than I am. Uh, we, we have the seasonal dip where sometimes it's 78, uh, and it can be a little windy at the pool. It is not It is not by any means fall here in West Palm Beach. But uh, anyways, welcome to 7investing now, the technically difficulty Seven investing now. We are getting to the bottom of it. We're going to cover the news of the day, but with a long-term perspective. This is an interactive programming. No matter where you're watching this, if you share comments in the chat, we will see those comments and we will try to read them on the air where appropriate. Uh, we're going to open up with our top story. That's something we were most interested in talking about today. Uh, and then we're going to follow with what we're watching. That's where Steve and Austin each pick a story, uh, and they have two very diverse stories. Following that, we'll be in the home stretch. We're going to talk about the latest vaccine news, and then, of course, we will hit our finisher. Guys, I want to start the show today by focusing on bad investing advice. You can't cycle through the best-known financial television programming without getting a ton of bad advice. Yeah, I'm, I'm calling you out, Jim Cramer. <laughs> Lots of bad advice. I'm trying to start this feud here. He's not picking up on it, but you get great interviews. You do a bad job teaching people how to invest, and that is something we are trying to uh, contradict here. Uh, you'll see people, uh, you know, say like, oh, it's time to take profits off the table or, you know, maybe you should buy this stock that might do well in the short term. Austin, Steve, I want you to each share some of the worst advice you've gotten or that you've seen regularly out there. going to start first with Austin. Austin, what's your number one piece of, uh, of bad advice over the term? Yeah. So really, I'm just going to talk about something that I I have tried to get better at, and I think I've gotten better at in, in recent years, which the reason I was doing it was probably because I had heard about it as uh, good advice from exactly the bad sources we're talking about. But I don't try to, I used to try to keep the lowest cost basis possible in the companies I would own. So I would want to buy shares and then I'd be afraid to, to buy more if the price went up or something like that. I would basically look for a discount and then I would want to buy more shares later. I've stopped doing that in recent years. And now I try to invest in great companies. And what I've learned is that great companies, they're sure there's going to be volatility, but over time, you're pr I'm, I'm probably going to add to that position and my cost basis should hopefully go up because great companies tend to keep performing well and then their stock price over the long term tends to go up. And if you if you look at the best companies, the best investments over time, you would have done amazing if you bought, let the company prove itself out and then added more whenever you had the money, keeping it, you know, a rational sized position in your portfolio. 
I don't even think about cost basis. What I do do is if I know I'm going to buy a stock and uh, and I see it dip, I might buy that stock a little bit sooner than I would have. I'll kind of loan myself the money to buy that stock. Steve, what's the bad advice you regularly see? Oh, focusing on share price in isolation. And this, I mean, you shouldn't see this coming from any reputable uh, advisor or anyone who seriously analyzes stocks. But I think it's a huge mistake uh, that people say, um, you know, here's... So many stocks under ten dollars. You know, it doesn't matter uh, what the share <laughs> price is, and um, you know, focusing on share price in isolation is completely meaningless. Uh, there are so many high-priced stocks I'd much rather buy, and with greater potential for share price appreciation than those with seemingly low prices. So, uh, again, share price taken alone means nothing when it comes to a company's valuation. Two stocks that trade at ten dollars per share, for example, might be drastically different sizes. One might be a ten billion dollar company, one might be a hundred million dollar company. Uh, instead, we need to think more about dollars invested and the stock's valuation uh, relative to its potential. And uh, really, it's it's like slicing up a, a pizza that's, you know, if you have two companies that are the same size with different share prices, it's like cutting up a pizza in a different number of slices. One might have eight, one might have four, one might have 16. It's just a function of how many shares they've decided to issue. So think about it instead. If dollars invested, and do your you do your analysis based on uh, actual valuations, not just this company's a thousand dollars a share, so I won't buy it, uh, or this company's a dollar per share, so it must be more attractive. That's a big mistake. Yeah, it doesn't work like bottles of wine. If you find an amazing $5 bottle of wine, well, you can keep buying that. And I'm not saying you'll never find a stock trading at $5. That's a good mm -hmm. stock. But there's lots of good stocks. There's no reason to chase that. Sam Bailey, can you share the Twitter graphic I, I, I shared with you earlier? We'll, we'll see if this works. We've been having some technical problems. So I shared this on Twitter, and it's probably the most liked thing I've ever done. 197 likes. And I Man, shared a I've, stop I like a lot of things you do, all right? Just keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> a stop loss is an excellent way to sell shares of really good companies based on one day of minor bad news. Uh, They're a terrible idea. Here's what a stop loss is. It says, okay, I own this company. It's $100. If it gets to 90, I want you to automatically sell because I don't want it to go lower than that. And people do that with the logic of, well, I'll sell and it'll keep going down and then I'll buy it again and I won't be hit as much by the dip and I'll get to get it on the way back up. Here's the problem. In the same day, it might go below your stop loss and then go up 30% above that, and you won't be able to buy back in. It is a terrible idea, but it is something you hear preached by people all the time as a way to minimize your losses. It's also a really good way to minimize your gains. We're watching seven investing now. We're, we're talking about the bad financial advice we get. I'm going to go back to Austin here. Austin, what is your number two bad piece of advice or advice you no longer follow? This might make a lot of people mad, Dan, but um, <laughs> buying dividend stocks, all right? And and uh, actually, you know, bigger picture, no, it's not just about not buying dividend stocks. Um, that's a part of the lesson, but really the lesson there is categorizing myself as an investor. Either I'm a in dividend investor and I only look for dividend stocks because I want to grow that income, or I'm a growth investor, value investor, or whatever. I talk about this. If people watch the show, they're probably annoyed, but I just talk about finding great businesses. If a company pays a dividend and I love it, great. If it doesn't pay a dividend and and I I don't like it or I do like it, then then great. I want to own great businesses. And and the other thing though, I guess in general, you know, I have 10, 15, 20 years of working because I love to work and hopefully adding to my portfolio. 
usually dividend paying stocks, stocks that, that increase their dividend and pay a pretty high dividend, they don't grow that much in terms of market capitalization as a business. So uh, your returns are basically going to be the dividend that you get plus the dividend growth, and then maybe a little bit of capital appreciation on on the share price if you own dividend stocks. So uh, I tend to not own dividend stocks, but I also just don't categorize myself and lock myself into certain types of companies. So Austin, dividends for me are kind of like hot fudge. Like it's awesome when it's there, but it's not the reason I'm coming to the party. I'm coming to the party for the ice cream. And I'll give an example. I own Microsoft and Microsoft pays a dividend. And when I look at Microsoft, I go, okay, are they also spending on research and development? <clears throat> oh, they are. Is their balance sheet good? Yes, it is. So at that point, a dividend becomes a reasonable use of capital. In a lot of cases, a dividend is used to cover up for a company being bad in other areas. An example I always bring up is Frontier Communications, a now bankrupt company that for many years was paying a dividend it could not afford to pay because people would leave if it stopped paying that dividend. That is a bad idea. We are going to absolutely get to some of your questions uh, before we move on to the next topic. Uh, but Steve, what is your second bad piece mm. of advice that you no longer follow? Uh, checking your portfolio value too often. Uh, I think it's a, a big mistake um, to, to look at your portfolio constantly. We're not day traders at 7investing. We're long-term oriented investors. And uh, the... The one example I think about often is something I talked about with uh, Chris Mayer, uh, author of 100 Baggers, um, just a, a few months ago. Uh, he tells a story of uh, a friend who invested in art and bought a painting just because he liked it. He put it on his living room wall and uh, he left it there for like 20 years and decided he was going to downsize. And, um, you know, he's going to sell everything. So he decided, you know, he's, oh, he's got this painting and, and decides to go get it valued and see what it's worth. And turns out it was worth like $800,000 and he paid something like 15 grand for it. And, you know, basically you can kind of liken that to stocks and that, you know, if this guy was checking constantly what this painting was worth, he probably would have sold it a long time ago. And, uh, you know, we are hit with the stock price, uh, of businesses that we watch constantly and uh, and checking too often, you know, multiple times per day, uh, can you can talk yourself into selling something that you otherwise shouldn't sell, and when really nothing's changed with regard to your buy thesis, and you think, oh, it's got it's up twenty percent, I should sell, and uh, you know, you look back, and you know, five years later, that stock's worth twenty times what it was before, and uh, that's a big mistake. Uh, and really plays into the psychology of investing and being patient. Uh, try to consciously check your portfolio less often, and you'll be better off assuming you trust your homework. Once a quarter is more than enough. And the reality is, you know, if something huge happens, if the CEO of a major company you own dies, you're going to hear about mm -hmm. that and you'll have some sense of its impact on the stock price. There's no reason to check every day. Uh, guys, I see a question here from Trith P. Uh, he says, what advice would you give to yourself if you were to start over in terms of mindset psychology? Uh, yeah, for me, it would be exactly the types of things Stephen Austin were saying. It would be to tune out all the noise 
It will be to find good advice. And look, in my early days of, of investing, I didn't do it for a living. I wasn't uh, you know, someone who followed these companies. So I would be outsourcing my research to a seven investing or, or to other people. There aren't that many other people who do it like we do it. Uh, and I'd be looking for that. Uh, Austin, what's something you wish you could go back? You're a little bit younger than me, so it's not as long. What's something you wish you could go back and change? Yeah, this, it's a great question, an important question. I think um, when when you learn about investing or you start to hear about it, it, it seems like this big risky thing. The stock market is risky, and you know, investing the act of investing isn't risky. It's it's probably one of the the least risky things you can do. That really the riskiest thing you can do, guaranteed, is just leave all your money in cash in the bank because with interest rates, uh, you're guaranteed. To have less money over time if you just leave it in the bank because the interest rates are so low and and the cost of living goes up. And so, if I could go back, I would make sure that the way I acted uh, in my behavior as an investor was was in line with my goals. And so that means just making sure that I have uh, my emergency fund and my I keep my expenses low. And then investing is just is just what I do to, to grow my money. And, and if you do that and you have your foundation, you're not investing money you need in the next three to five years. And you're not looking for just like home run, you know, short-term gains. Investing really isn't that risky. If you have an approach like, like we recommend and, and you're investing in the types of companies we recommend at seven investing. If I could go back in time, I'd rethink the pink leather tie I owned in the, I want to say 90s, but it might have been the 80s. Steve, if you could go back, what would you do differently? Just focus on being more patient with my investments. And uh, there's uh, another question that's sort of related to this from Duarte. Uh, He says, hey, guys, trimming winners is a bad or good investment advice. And uh, generally, I'll say that's bad advice. you, you know, it's tempting to, to take some profits off the table, you know, playing with the house's money. You hear that a lot. Um, but often trimming your winners ends up being a much bigger mistake than, uh, than taking, you know, recognizing which of your losing investments should be cut and putting that money to work that way. And, uh, often it's best to let your winners run. And I wish I would have done more of that when I was younger because my portfolio would be a whole lot bigger than it is now. And, uh, you know, just looking back, uh, hanging on to those winners, letting them run. And uh, it's sort of the opposite of what you think it should be. But Yeah, I'll give a little bit of a caveat there. The only time where trimming winners might be a good idea is if it's keeping you up at night because it's such a big portion of your Mm -hmm. portfolio. And again, it depends on what the winner is. If the winner is a speculative stock that's you know now 40% of your portfolio, that might be a different case scenario than if you've owned Amazon for a really long time and it's a big part of your Mm -hmm. portfolio. So it's not never. There are rarely absolutes in investing. And there are times you break every rule, but anyone who tells you, okay, like, when something's up 50%, trim 10% off. Like that, That's terrible advice. There is no one-size-fits-all advice out there. Guys, we're going to pivot over to what we're watching. Uh, but I really wanted to comment on uh, Girls Trade 2 says, two-month subscriber uh, and very pleased. Thank you, guys. And, and one of the things we're trying to be here at 7investing is open to everybody, new investor, experienced investor. You know, We see there are fewer women in the investing space, and we are very lucky to have Manisha Sammy on our team to help uh, you know, sort of be the bridge to some of that audience. But one of the things we do every month, we're actually doing it after this call later today, is each of us picks a stock each month. And what we do is we make about a 15-minute presentation, and we 
put it on for each other. And then we push back and ask questions. Our members who can join at 7investing.com slash subscribe, they get access to those video pitches. Uh, Steve, I'm pitching today. Are you excited? Nah, I'm a little bored. No, all right. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I, I, I kind of, I kind of uh, figured. No, I, I really always excited. love watching your pitches, Dan. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'll, I'll tease it a little bit. I am pitching something that is not all that like any of the stocks you would expect me yeah. to pick. I'm going a little bit far afield today. But guys, it is time for what we're watching. These are stories you bring to the table. I don't pick them. And Austin, let's start with you. You, you want to talk about a company called MP Materials. Before you talk about it, can you tell me what it is? Because I've never heard of this company. Yeah, so... It's going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. I just talked about, you know, great proven long-term investments. I have a portion of my portfolio and I'm uh, familiar with myself and my own behavior where I'm willing to take some risks. It's a small portion. We think about these positions, maybe they're um, a half a percent position, 1% position or less. So when I talk about this type of company, that's what I'm talking about. And it, that's okay. And, and I've learned that I can I can invest in these companies and, and manage them and, and I'm willing to take that risk. Um, so what they are is they're, it's, it's a, uh, rare earth metal company. And basically the investment in the trend or the larger trend that I'm investing in by owning this company is the growth of electric vehicles and also some other industries that, that use, uh, the elements that, that this company produces. And so, um, yeah, I'll jump more into it, Dan, but do you have any, any, uh, additional questions from there? Yeah, so they, this is a company that just merged with another player in the space, and it sort of popped up on people's radars. So why don't you talk a little bit about the merger? Yeah, and and you know, people ask us, how do you find these companies? How do you find the companies you you recommend? And uh, the companies I I recommend for some investing, I've I've done a lot more research and gone through a much thorough process. If I start a starter position like this, I, I'm willing to do that without knowing a whole lot about companies, and that's how I kind of get invested. Uh, get money in the game, and then and then that makes me learn more about it. So um, Chamath Palahapatia, and I probably pronounced his name wrong. Uh, I'm a fan of him as uh, an innovative thinker and innovative investor. You may have heard of him. He's involved with Virgin Galactic. He's involved with a lot of SPACs. He's he's got uh, registered um, holding companies, IPOB. IPOC, and I think they even go to DE and, and even more. Um, so he's he's with the trend of, of a lot of these uh, SPACs, and then he's got a lot of holding companies that are trying to merge with companies and then and then become SPACs. Uh, so I saw a tweet from him that said they that uh, ticker FVAC closed its merger with MP Materials, and that was on November 17th, uh, and it was changing over the next day. And then on the 19th, he shared out a, a tweet from or an article from General Motors. And the point he said was, he said, whether or not GM's strategy will work is secondary to what I care about, which is further demand for EVs. The byproduct will create even more demand for rare earth metals. And when I saw that, I was like, okay, I got to you know really look into this company. And so- Yeah, let, let me jump in and explain, explain here a little bit. So what he is saying, uh, and it took me a while to get, but I have these tweets in front of me. What he's saying is that it's great that GM is doing this, but the reality is there's going to be more electric vehicles. It's not that important who sells those electric vehicles, and there are only so many sources for these rare earth materials. Am I reading that correctly, Austin? Exactly, Dan. Very well put. In me, I'm by no means an expert in the EV industry. I don't know. I think Tesla has been a clear winner, 
Tesla's a little bit large for me in terms of market cap for the, the size companies I like to invest in. And other than that, I don't know who's going to win. I don't know if it's GM. I, I, don't, I'm, I don't know Neo. That seems speculative to me. But the idea of a picks and shovels types of, of play that is going to provide a key resource for the growth of EVs, but also they're also in wind turbines, industrial automation, robotics, drones. They have, um, they help with things that the, the department of defense ships and, and, uh, equipment that they build public transit. They're, they're playing in a lot of markets. Uh, I like that picks and shovels approach and then a little bit on the company. And, and I, they do have an investor presentation, which I'll share out a link to, uh, they're expecting combined annual growth rate of revenue from 2019 to 23 to be 53%. And then they're expecting combined annual growth rate of uh, free cash flow to, go, or uh, I'm sorry, they're expecting free cash flow to go from negative uh, 36 million in 2020 to 138 million in 2023. They provide some other stuff and projections, but based on those expected fundamentals, the growth of the, the possible industries that, that are going to use their materials. Uh, and they've, they've got a, uh, a refinery basically, or a, a, a source that's in California. So it's a United, it's in the United States. Um, and Chamath is involved. I like all those things and, and I've got a small position and, uh, they report earnings today after the market closes. So it'll be interesting. The company's up, uh, nine, 8% today. Um, it's going to be volatile. This is one we're going to check back in on. Uh, you're watching Seven Investing now. We're uh, the show is working. We've had some technical difficulties today. I don't think we're on YouTube, but we are figuring all of this out. Uh, Trish P says, "Thanks, Steve. I'm buying your membership today. What time are the pitches planned? Thank you. We actually tape the pitches today. We don't release them uh, until later in the month. So for every stock we pick, we not only tape pitches where we we have back and forth Q and A with each other. We also each write a formal recommendation. Those go live on the first of the month. Members can access not just the current picks, but also all the previous picks, all the previous videos. You could, if you want, it's a holiday weekend. You can nerd out watching our pitches and all." sorts of exciting things sam bailey our producer says we are working everywhere sam we appreciate that we're going to come to steve in a second he's going to talk dividend <clears throat> after that we're going to talk quickly about the latest vaccine news and it is good vaccine news but steve dividends right. are coming back why don't you fill us in uh some of them went away earlier this year uh, uh companies sort of uh, ditched their dividends uh, a lot of them uh at the height of the pandemic when things were really uncertain and uh, something we've seen um, of the 42 companies in the S&P 500 that suspended their dividend to preserve cash during the pandemic, uh, roughly six of them have already reinstated their dividends and several others have said they will be soon doing so. And, uh, you know, among them, uh, not just S&P 500 constituents, but uh, uh, among the companies that have recently reinstated their dividend, Kohl's, uh, Darden Restaurants, Lululemon, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Kimberly Clark, Williams-Sonoma. Uh, of course, this was mostly expected. You know, a lot of these are large, well-capitalized businesses for the most part that anticipated uh, the suspended payouts would be temporary, but the announcements are generally causing near-term spikes in their share prices as they reinstate 
reinstate these payouts because they're viewed as votes of confidence um, for what's to come in the next few quarters, at least. And, and this doesn't just go for large companies. There's a lot of smaller dividend payers that are starting to reinstate dividends as well. Uh, one that I own, Retail Opportunity Investments, it's a shopping center REIT, a real estate investment trust that's required to pay out at least 90% of its net income to investors in the form of dividends. Uh, they suspended it earlier this year. And uh, a few weeks ago, they announced they should be poised to resume their payout in early 2021, uh, coupled with their latest quarterly report. The share uh, shares, I think, surged almost 30% in a single day uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but really, why is this important? Um, zooming back out to the bigger picture, especially with market indexes, over the past 50 years, that's dating back to 1970, around 78% of the total return of the S&P 500 can be attributed to reinvested dividends and the power of compounding over long periods of time, dividends comprise a lot of what the broader market returns uh, have provided for investors. So that's something to keep your eyes on uh, or you know, which of these dividends are coming back and how quickly it should give us a pulse uh, of how companies are thinking about the recovery and economic reopening. Steve, let me jump in here because I look at this list and some of them seem obvious. Dick's Sporting Goods has had good results because everyone decided to buy camping mm -hmm. equipment. Dollar General has done incredibly well during the pandemic. Same for Dollar Tree. But William Sonoma, Darden I Restaurants, <laughs> Kohl's, these are not companies that are doing particularly well. Why are they not hoarding cash? As an investor, I'd be very yeah. wary of them paying yeah, dividends. Yeah, uh, it's something that I think um, you have to be careful of, like which companies are kind of projecting false confidence and, uh, you know, should they be this confident at this stage uh, in whether they should be uh, reinstating their dividends? And some of them, you know, that might not be the case, but others, uh, you know, it, take a look on an individual basis and see whether these companies uh, make a lot of sense uh, and whether this capital allocation decision is actually responsible. The REIT Steve was talking about is Retail Opportunity Investments. It's ticker um, ROIC and, uh, for anyone wondering. But uh, yeah, it's it, that was uh, quite the pop uh, they got. And uh, it's a shopping center oriented REIT is what that one is. But We appreciate all of the... I apologize to anyone whose name I'm butchering. I, I got new glasses. I had laser eye surgery. So the, the top of my glasses is blank. The bottom helps me read. And I can see my script really well. I can't see your names all that well. I'm still learning how to do that. Uh, Vince Granary says, I really appreciate your multi-communication strategy uh, for subscribers. Yeah, that's the goal with subscribers is to give it to you however you want it. If you want video, if you want transcripts, if you want podcasts, if you want the live stream, which is, of course, for everybody, not just subscribers. We appreciate everyone spreading the word. Tell people about 7investing. Tell them about 7investing now. We'll talk a little bit about our affiliate program later. But now, guys, we're in the home stretch. Oxford, AstraZeneca, their COVID vaccine shows an average 70% effectiveness in preventing the virus. That said, those numbers are a little misleading because part of their test showed if you took a half dose uh, and then a full dose a month later, you actually get more than 90%. So this is really, really good news. This vaccine can also be kept in a refrigerator for about six months. Austin, this is great news, but we're still six to nine months away from widespread availability. How do you think the market is going to process things? Yeah, and and you know, Steve, Dan, and myself are are not by any means the seven investing experts in this area. We've got Manisha Sammy and Max Chatsko, who they've talked about it several times. You know, my take, Dan, is and I've been thinking about this for a while. I was like, why is the why is the market up? Like a lot of these businesses are still hurting. But at the same time, 
our economy has shown and these businesses have shown incredible resilience and the ability to to pivot their business models with with new apps and, and platforms to go from having to dine everybody in person to then delivery with DoorDash and curbside pickup and grocery stores. You can pick groceries up. So, you know, I think I, I think the um, flexibility and uh, resilience that businesses have been able to show to move digital so fast. And then the confidence that, hey, it's we're still a while out, but we have developed this vaccine uh, you know, faster than almost any other vaccine at this level in the history of the world, really. And yes, we're still a while out from where most people are going to be taking it. But the fact that we've been able to develop something this fast and we're going to be distributing it is really great for the future of the economy. And then the last thing is, uh, I don't think we need, you know, we're never going to get everybody vaccinated. We don't need everybody vaccinated. I think what I would feel most confident in and what I feel most confident in as an individual is just knowing that we have a plan. Well, the plan hasn't come yet. We are going to have the ability. We, we, we do not have, have a plan. Right, <laughs> to have, of a plan. We're, we have the ability. And at some point we're going to have a portion of the population vaccinated, which means that we're, you know, in a much better position in terms of our healthcare system, not getting overburdened, even if only one in three or one in five people get vaccinated or whatever, you know, that's a lot better than, than nobody having it. Plus the confidence. And then, uh, it's really just about our healthcare system, not being overburdened and then people being able to get the care that they need because we've gotten a lot better at treating people. My wife works at a hospital and we, she's seen it as well. We've gotten a lot better at treating people that go in with the disease. So uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I, and again, there's going to be short terms up, up and downs and pullbacks, but I just think in general, long-term investing, I'm not afraid of the market crashing at this point. There might be a 10 20% pullback, but I think, I think the, we've seen a lot of resiliency, which is a good thing. Yeah. And remember that every new vaccine, every new tool sort of makes the end date faster. So this particular vaccine from AstraZeneca is already in production. They believe they can make, I think it was 3 billion doses next year. I might be overstating that. Now. Nope. There it is. 3 billion doses. Well, the more of that we have, the more companies that come online with a successful vaccine or a successful treatment, the more of us will get treated faster. Uh, and this vaccine works specifically well uh, in rural populations, in places that don't have this mass refrigeration. The fact that it can be in a regular refrigerator or just Steve's backyard uh, and be viable <laughs> for six months makes it work. I'm going to hit you both with a question, but I'm going to answer it first. Um, do either of you see a company or business sector that's doing well because of the pandemic that will struggle after a vaccine is common? I'm going to throw one out. Papa John's. They were doing fairly okay. They had kind of come back a little pre-pandemic, but they're doing blockbuster. I, I don't see it. I think this is the number two player in their space. And at a time where demand isn't quite as high, I think they're they're going to the other guys, or maybe they're going back to their local pizza place uh, that doesn't deliver as well, but is better for pickup or eat in. But uh, Steve, what's the one you think might not do as well when this world changes back? Um, I, I had to think for a moment uh, to get away from some of the obvious candidates, but what about Hasbro? Um, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about a company that's been consistently beating expectations recently because of the gaming brands it owns. You know, it's got Monopoly and Scrabble and Dungeons and Dragons and a bunch of other board games. And, and that was a big, big source of its recent outperformance. It was even having trouble keeping up uh, because, you know, of COVID related production uh, issues and manufacturing. Uh, but I think in order to continue outperforming, it's going to have to figure out how to lean on uh, its like TV film 
film entertainments and everything. But uh, I suspect uh, it kind of meets some of this pent up demand from people staying at home and buying games that we're going to have issues uh, or maybe a, a bit of a slowdown for them. Uh, they might not do as well once the pandemic starts to kind of wane. Yeah, I, I played a little Uno early in the pandemic. I am not a board game guy. It is not my thing, but I did run a toy store, and heading into the winter, you sold an awful lot of board games. This is essentially a national winter where people stocked up. You know what's not going to do as well? Puzzles. Nobody who can go out is going to do a puzzle by choice. Uh, that being said, Austin, is there a company you wanted to talk about? Dan, this is the easiest question you've ever asked on the show, because <laughs> I have firsthand experience with this. Camping... Uh, Camping World Holdings is, if, if there's a company, I'm not going to short this company. If there was a company I was going to short, uh, this would probably be one of them. So from 2016 to October 2019, before any of the pandemic stuff, it was down 60% over that period. Uh, and since then, year to date, the company's up 108%. Okay, so what do they do? They rent campers and outdoor stuff. My family and I went on, we res, we rented an RV and went on an RV vacation because we were like staying away from hotels and doing fun stuff that we normally do. It was the worst vacation by far that we've ever been on. Uh, <laughs> part of that is we like being outdoors and stuff like that. But part of that is because of the age of our children and we had a dog and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm going to go, that trend is not going to continue. People are not going to keep buying and renting RVs. And this company, I'm going to, I'm going to make a bet and we could check back in in a year that in one year that the share price is going to be 50% lower than it is today. Uh, no skin in the game on that one. It's just kind of a reckless, reckless so, prediction. So I'll, Austin, I'll take that bet. We could, uh, we could bet a, a six pack of a local craft beer on that because that company is led by Marcus Limonis. You, you may know him better as the prophet on CNBC. Uh, and we had him on uh, the place I used to work. And he is a brilliant leader. I think he'll figure out how to pivot. He hasn't been running that company all that long. So I agree. There'll be less demand. Look, I was looking at used RVs and RVs that were like two grand pre-pandemic were like 18 grand. Like it was something we were going to buy, like maybe on the side, maybe for the occasional like drive down to Key West and, you know, not have to, to pay the hotel prices. That being said, I do think that trend will change. I'm not sure that uh, the camping world won't figure it out. Guys, time to hit our finisher. This actually comes from a friend of ours. This is from the New Investor book. Uh, Austin, he's an affiliate of ours. What does that mean? Yeah, so real quick, uh, a, a really awesome member benefit. If you're a member, every member gets a referral code. Uh, so if you sign up and, and you're a subscriber to us, you pay $17 a month or $170 a year. Uh, you can go into your account and it's in your account settings and share your referral code, share it out on Twitter, tag us in it, and we will retweet it. Uh, people that sign up with your member referral code get $10 off their first month and you get a free month for everybody that signs up. We've had one member bring in eight people. We've had another one bring in five. Uh, so go out there and do that. That's available to you as a member. We also have an affiliate partner program and what we're doing, and, and we don't have a big marketing budget. It's just us, we do have a marketing team, but we are very small compared to uh, a lot of companies out there that spend you know, thousands or millions of dollars on marketing or whatever. What we're trying to do is, is organic. And we have affiliate partners that we love their content. Maybe they don't have a paid service, but they're, they're making great content and helping democratize financial education. That's exactly what the New Investor book does. And they have the, the same deal. They share a link out. Members get... Um, $10 off their first month if they sign up with their link. And then uh, we have a, 
uh, a partnership with with those affiliates as well. And so uh, that's what the affiliate program is. And the new investor book is is one of our partners. So in this spot, we usually share a Twitter poll from one of us, but we welcome all of you. If you do a Twitter poll and it's in the right in the financial space and it gets a lot of votes, feel free to hit me up at Worst Ideas 7 on Twitter or hit up our joint account at 7 Investing and maybe we'll share your poll. And of course, join us, become an affiliate, or even if you just like 7 Investing now, tell the world. We, we don't spend millions on marketing. Frankly, we shouldn't have to. We're giving you a lot of great content for free. Sam Bailey, it is time to hit the graphic. Apologize for triggering you too soon. Uh, our friend New Investor Book says, what will hit a $500 billion market cap first? C Limited, uh, that came in second with 30.6%. Zoom, 14.9%. Uh, Mercado Libre, 14%. Shopify, that's the big winner at 40.5%. Guys, I actually think I might have gone Mercado Libre. That is a business that just has massive growth potential, but I don't think Shopify is wrong. Austin, I'll give you the first word here. I think Zoom is going to become a $1 trillion company eventually. So I've got to go Zoom. I think it will happen. Total guess by 2000, at some point in 2022, in terms of a $500 billion market cap. Steve Simonton, your thoughts here. Man, this was hard because they're all, you know, the funny thing is Mercado Libre is the smallest company of the group and C Limited is actually the biggest. I think it's 70 billion versus like 178 billion if you're going on both sides of that. Um, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say that C Limited uh, might be there. Uh, the potential is enormous and um, we might see it hit 500 billion first. So uh, yeah, that probably that would have been my vote. Guys, that finishes up today's episode of 7 Investing Now. I'm going to be back on Wednesday uh, with Manisha Sammy, uh, and I'm not sure who else. We haven't figured that out. So, of course, we're going to get into the science of, of the pandemic, what's going on, uh, look at all sorts of stuff there. We are very lucky to have two experts, uh, but Max Chatsko is not going to be joining us as he is working on moving, which is not super easy during the pandemic. If you have questions for us, there's a couple of good ways to get to us. You can... Uh, Reach out via email. I know that's old-fashioned, but that's uh, info at 7investing.com. And it's usually Steve Symington who opens that. And if it's a question for me or for Austin, he'll forward it to us. If it's uh, for anybody else, he'll pass it along. And we try to be very quick in answering. Or, of course, we are all on social media all day long. So uh, certainly message us at 7investing on Twitter. Now, of course, it's a holiday week. We won't necessarily be as diligent on Thursday and Friday you know, as we normally will be. I know I'm heading over later to Honey Baked Ham to pick up the vast majority of the Thanksgiving feast for 40 that the three of us are going to be eating later this week, uh, probably on Thursday because that's Thanksgiving. Uh, but guys, for Austin, for Steve, for Sam Bailey behind the glass, I'm Dan Klein. Thank you for watching 7 Investing Now. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as...